this evening I, I have a I, I'm going to give a talk in honor of a um, a ten year old um, Dharma son of mine who just died a week ago, and I know this isn't the most um, you know cheerful of conversations um, that I I'm having, and it may touch some buttons for those who've either lost a child or know of children who died. Um, but I encourage you to breathe into that heart space um, that the Buddha talks about, which is that oftentimes bearing the unbearable, or even just imagining the unbearable, could often be the greatest pathway to liberation. And suffering is considered to be one of the great doorways of liberation. And how do we handle it? So for those who are kind of ready to <laughs> bolt out of here, um, just take a few deep breaths and um, I will carry on. Um, my Dharma son's name was Todd Tanzuhat and he is a Thai boy who uh, lived in Pullman, Washington with his two Thai parents. My friend Patria um, is a professor at Washington State University and um, um, Todd was adopted 10 years ago in Thailand and unbeknownst to his adopted parents um, had, a, had, had a disease called thalassemia um, and he required a um, bone marrow um, and spleen uh, transplant uh, excuse me, stem cell uh, uh, and the procedure that um, he received was very experimental in the U.S. and had never been done before. Um, so obviously his parents and Todd, uh, I think nine, uh, ten when he began the process, um, had a lot of fear and trepidation. Live, coming from a Buddhist country, um, there's a very different orientation towards suffering and death and I had the opportunity to live in a Buddhist country as Maureen mentioned uh, meditating for more than 18 months in two forest monasteries um, and also maybe some of you know or don't know that um, after the tsunami I also uh, I went down to help survivors identify bodies of loved ones and help them deal again with another aspect of the unbearable. And I wrote about it in the Inquiring Mind. It may still be on the web. It's called Tsunami Psychologist. One of the things I wrote about was the remarkable difference between how Thais dealt with the sudden and quick death of a loved one and how us Westerners dealt with it. And I'm bringing it up because my friends or tie in this little boy's tie. So um, I wanted to make a few remarks about the really profound and extraordinary difference between our particular perspective of death, particularly the death of a child, which is probably the mo one of the most, if not the single most, heart-wrenching experience that any parent could ever you know, have in this lifetime with the way, you know, just comparing, you know, the Thai way and the Western way. And when I say Western, it's not just American, it's, you know, the Western world around death. Um, in general, the Thai 
Buddhist community, which is about 97% of the country, um, has tremendous faith in the Buddhist teachings of karma, the cause and effect of planting particular seeds and at some point having those seeds sprout. And the Buddha also said about karma that it's one of the imponderables. In other words, we cannot figure out the origin of our karma. We just can't. We don't know, um, you know, why necessarily some things happen. I mean, you could pretty much guess if you lie, you tend to feel guilty, right? Or if you overeat, you tend to feel a little sick. I mean, there are some immediate karmic causes. Or if you are generous, you feel good. I mean, there are some things that the cause and effect you know, it seems obvious and makes sense. But there are many that we don't understand. You know, why, you know, some people die young and why some people die old or why someone gets killed in a car accident and why someone survives it. Um, you know, what about our parents? Whoever thought of families, you know? Um, so there's many things that we don't understand. And the Buddha, again, said this is imponderable. We, you know, don't even kind of, you know, understand karma but don't necessarily think you're going to figure it out. And um, my one of my teachers, Ajahn Anand, said about the tsunami, which was probably the greatest natural disaster you know that we've experienced at least in this century, was the simple statement that if there's death, there's birth. There, the, excuse me. Pardon me. If there's birth, there's death. The karma of the seed that's planted when you're born is that you die. And we don't know when, and we don't know where, and we don't know how. And this you know, visceral, heartfelt, you know, bodily understanding of this particular piece of karma is pretty much embodied within the Thai culture. And as a result, not that anybody's jumping for joy at tragedy, not that anybody is welcoming it, it's not that anybody doesn't have a very difficult time with it, but there is a general exception. And the expression in Thai that people often say is pen tamada, pen tamachat. Pentamada means it's normal. And pentamacha means basically it's dharma, it's nature. If we're born, we die. We are the four elements. We are earth, air, wind, and fire. And, um, excuse me, earth, air, fire, and water. I apologize. And we come from nature and we return from nature. So, in addition to having that be, you know, part of the DNA of many ties, I witnessed um, not just verbally through listening to my friends when the, and I was in the room when the doctors told my friends that their son was probably, you know, short of a miracle, was not going to survive, and he was going to lose his ten-year-old life, and my friends were going to lose their only child. It was extraordinary. The first thing they said was. Gum, and gum is Thai and for karma. They didn't say why me, you know. They didn't 
beat their chests. They didn't go into a rant or a rave of anger. They just said, gum. Um, Which I found, really, at probably the most despairing moment of their life, so profound. You know, that they weren't kind of coached on it. This was the sincere response of mom and dad, almost to the point where they said it at the same time. My own experiences living in Thailand for nearly two years, most of the time in, in two monasteries and the other time as a professor, is that all over Thailand, all over Thailand, there are crematoria stacks. Uh, crematoria, uh, crematoria, just out in open fields or at the edge of a village. And by that I mean if the body goes into an oven, there's a smokestack. You know, right out there. It's not in a funeral home disguised kind of in the back of the property like we were in in Seattle when my Dharma son died. Um, it's just everywhere. And sometimes there's not a crematoria oven. It's two cement blocks that the casket is put on. A gas hose goes in and after the chantings and blessings by the monks and offerings that are made, the gas is poured in and the match is lighted. It is so direct. And this is all over Thailand. You cannot escape it. You kind of look, look around and it's every few kilometers, you know, every village in most monasteries, at least forest monasteries, have this. And one of the monasteries, Ajahn Ganha, one of the great meditation masters of the century, a nephew of Ajahn Chah, practically right in the middle of the uh, monk's section is, is the crematoria. I mean, it's not, you know, kind of isolated. It's, you know, there's kutis, meditation huts right around it. You know, it's not protected. Um, sometimes, in the, when you have a forest monastery near a village, you know, you wake up for the um, Chao morning puja, morning meditation, and you walk into the Dhamma hall, and there's a casket, <laughs> or two. You know, somebody from the village died, they hauled the person in a truck, they put them in the casket and put it in the Dhamma hall and the family stays up all night or all day um, making beautiful flower arrangements and the pictures right there and there's the bodies held for three days and then it goes into the crematoria or in some monasteries right on these cement blocks. So the reason why I'm giving you this description in graphic detail is not to bum you out um, not to uh, say, you know, the Thai approach is so far superior. It's a different approach that doesn't deny or or um, mis- make the process or the event of death mysterious and obscure. And in my, I was up in Seattle. Um, where my Dharma son died um, three different times. One when he, uh, most when he first went into critical care, uh, then when he was back on the bone marrow transplant floor, but terribly, terribly ill, 
and then just most recently when he went back to the intensive care and died last Thursday and I had the honor of being there um, at, with his last breath and you know with his first moments and hours actually of being dead and then witnessing the cremation not as explicit as in Thailand but certainly the casket going into the oven um, and the pure sorrow of his parents without the overlay of our um, our western um, habit of you know this is horrible this is why me why him you know what's wrong this is out of the natural order shouldn't have happened bitterness you know was absent and the sorrow of my friends losing their only child was nothing less than sweet now isn't that a strange way to describe sorrow sweet and the reason I use that word is because their grief was so authentic you know without um, taking it personally <coughs> without wondering what went wrong because they see death as nature and inexplicable why you know certain karma exhausted itself earlier than most of the time and again I want to say not that my friends were jumping for joy far from it they were devastated capital D but their devastation translated in something quite remarkable that also I witnessed in Buddhist culture and I witnessed over and over from my friends is their response continually oh by the way he was in the hospital since last August okay so we're talking a major amount of time my friend took a leave of absence from her professorship at the university and her husband owns an Asian supermarket and he had other people um, running running the um, very successful and market so you know they both made enormous sacrifices you know to stay at his bedside and rented an apartment in a complex for out-of-town um, families and who were coming from uh, long distances um, so they could either live in that hospital getting in the in the complex getting outpatient care or be close enough by so if their loved ones was um, you know in in the hospital they could go back by go back and forth by a shuttle bus there was no you know rental agreement other than you'll give two months notice you know there's a lot of accommodations made and a really quite not in everything all you had to do is move in with your toothbrush so you didn't have to kind of you know, deal with renting an apartment and wondering you know where your bedding was come from or schlep it from Norway or wherever you know wherever people come from around the world so they never left you know their son's bedside really and um, through that time through that August through end of April period I never heard a word of complaint from my friends 
you know, either how exhausted they were or how frustrated they were or how um, you know um, concerned in terms of the kind of care he was being given although they had preferences for certain nurses over the other he was given volumes of treatments every day in terms of he had a forest literally a forest of tubes and things going through him and there were some mistakes made and they accepted those mistakes not by jumping for joy but through a deep understanding that there's suffering and things happen unintentionally and their goodwill to um, be so gracious and not lash out in blame none of these treatments by the way ended up you know being the one none of the mistakes were the ones that caused his ultimate death but they understood just in the volume of treatments that he was getting every day all that time there were bound to be mistakes and it was they were difficult to accept but they weren't internalized or externalized you know as fury or as um, bitterness which I found very extraordinary their collective you know the, the, the parents um, when they asked a great monk of, in Thailand Longpur Opat who's again one of the great masters what what could we do um, it was amazing to me the advice that this master gave was ordain him as a novice ordain him as a novice so a letter was written to Tanajan Pasano the co-abbot of Abhayagiri monastery three hours north of here um, to ordain him so he could um, improve and develop his karma of doing virtuous things in this lifetime and I have to tell you one of the sweetest experiences of my life was being present at his ordination and seeing him transform into a lay little boy into a novice and being embraced by the monastic community at Abhayagiri as a grandson of Ajahn Chah as the son Dharma son of Tanajan Pasano, um, Canadian-born monk, and embraced as a Dharma brother by that community. He was in the community for a week, while his dad was in the meditation hut next door. <laughs> he went on alms rounds. He helped. You know, um, he ate one meal a day with some uh, allowable snacks. He woke up at 4:30 in the morning he contributed to the chores um, he had known a lot of the chanting because his parents are Thai um, but a, apparently a sweeter week I was only there at the ordination but when he disrobed he cried three times during the disrobing process to go back to a little boy because the feeling of goodness had been so instilled you know um, and the purity of heart from the monastery touched him very deeply and Longporo Pat said no matter what happens to Todd this experience will be a protection for him because in our tradition Buddhist tradition virtue is our protector you know there's an expression 
those who protect the Dharma get protected by it. There was also a suggestion by Longpur Opat and my other teacher, my teacher Ajahn Anand, that Todd, at 10 years old, develop a practice of forgiving anybody that has hurt or harmed him in this life or other lives, forgiving them, and asking forgiveness for those who may have, no, let's see, asking for forgiveness for anybody who's hurt or harmed him and offering, you know, uh, his own forgiveness. Am I saying this right? Mm -hmm. To anybody he's harmed. So there's an exchange. I'm sorry and I forgive you. Okay. Another, in which he took on very seriously. Another suggestion was that he save save, um, lives of sentient beings. So with his allowance of a 10-year-old, it's very, very sweet, he saved um, some water buffaloes and cows in Thailand that were destined for the slaughterhouse. He paid money so they could be um, continued to live on a farm until they died a natural death. I'm so touched by that. You know, when children at that age, especially in West, the Western world, are so acquisitive, looking for what they can get, that this boy, this boy's sweet mind and sweetheart was being trained to, to think about what could he give. He had great beings all over the planet, not just Longporo Pot, Ajananan, Longpur Pasano, but other great beings all over the planet sending him metta, their loving kindness, um, which is also great merit and virtue. You know, they say one of the greatest things is if you have the, the good merit of meeting enlightened masters. So at 10 years old, you know, he he was fortunate enough because of his good karma and accumulation of good merit to meet these great beings, some of whom came to the hospital to visit him. And one of the things I love is one of the la- two of the a few of the last things he did um, consciously in the hospital um, was he asked his parents how much money do I have saved up for my allowance? And they said about $200. And he specifically asked, uh, could I make an offering to a Bayagiri Buddhist monastery where he was ordained? And when Ajahn Rit, a disciple of, of Ajahn Buddhadasa, I think there'll be a conference on Ajahn Buddhadasa this fall, um, when he came to visit, he also made an offering to that Ajahn. Ajahn means teacher. I just find that so inspiring. You know, a great, a natural response that we have to suffering is bitterness, as I said, or why me? Or, you know, you're here, what could I get? And this little boy had internalized something so precious, which is the virtue and joy that comes from generosity. Can everybody hear me? Okay. Um, similarly, as I said, his parents 
never complained, and au contraire, as they said, they were so busy thanking everybody from you know, the top of the medical teams, you know, all the way you know, filtering down from every doctor, from every nurse, from every clown, physical therapist, um, art therapist, massage therapist, you know, the, the kind of the staff who attended to him, all the way down to the woman who cleaned his room, you know, the custodian, all the way down. They never stopped expressing their gratitude and appreciation. And when he died, um, all these people that have cared for him from since August came into the room to pay their last respects all the way from the top medical people down to the female custodian who cleaned his room. You know, including the chaplains, the social workers, and there was such a sweet. Again, I keep. I hope I'm not overusing that word, but the um, equality of sorrow in that room at the time of his death and after was remarkable, because he had touched people so di- so deeply. You know, the medical people had their reasons to be sorrow, sorrowful and the clown and the guitarist and the volunteer and the various therapists and the, and the uh, cleaning woman who he had developed a sweet relationship with his, and so did his parents because these were all daily connections. You know. um, so this little boy you know, who I grieve and who I miss and I can pass around some um, mementos. Um, one is a Mad Lib. Uh, this was a new vocabulary word for me. Does anybody know what a Mad Lib is? Okay, a Mad Lib is when you um, take a, a, tr- a song like this one with "Somewhere Over the Rainbow." The words are written out, but on every line there's a blank, and the child is asked to fill it in. So Todd's was "Somewhere Over the Dragons." So this of somewhere over the rainbow in case you missed the Wizard of Oz which I doubt way down southeast there's a dog that I cut off only in a call, only in a calling occupants of intergalactic craft <laughs> the end if hungry little arctic winds eat beyond the fluff balls why oh why can't I and this was sung at the memorial service collectively by everybody, everybody who was there. Everybody had copies, and I could just, for those who are interested, pass that around. This was written by him. Um, there's also a um, picture I can pass around of Todd and um, a Buddhist blessing I can pass around. And then um, Ajahn Rit, this is the same Buddhist blessing, so I'll just, um, it's just the long one that's like a bookmark, um, it's the same as the square one. Ajahn Rit, who I get sent as the um, abbot of the Buddha Dasa's monastery, uh, was so touching when he came to the memorial service to do the Buddhist blessings. Um, he came with about 70 copies of a, the cartoon version 
of the Buddha's life because there were so many young children who came to memorialize Todd and do singing and talk about their favorite memories. Again, another act of generosity was being able to pass out um, the life of the Buddha, understandable enough for young minds, and said in memory of Tacha Tad Tanzuha and his birthday and death date, and there's a picture of him as a young novice with Ajahn Pasano on it. And again, you know, the response to sorrow being generosity. So I'll pass this around so you can get another look at Todd as a novice, which is one of my favorite memories of him. And of course, when he had chemo, um, he was also bald. But he was so in, he, it was also so touching because he was used to being bald from having his head shaved off as a novice. So he connected that not with a loss of his hair, but a reminder of when he became a little novice at uh, Abhayagiri Buddhist Monastery, which is so sweet because normally you see a bald child and you think, oh, you know, their hair and they look so different, they look so deformed, and he didn't. He didn't have that response. Um, my friend's gratitude to the hospital staff, as I said, from top to bottom, um, their invitations to Ajahn Amaro, who's the other co-abbot of Abhayagiri's monastery. Ajahn Pasano had gone to Thailand to go on sabbatical. He called constantly, even though he's supposed to be sequestered in a cave. He called for, uh, to find out about his Dharma son. Ajahn Amaro, as, his bro- as a brother, another Dharma father, came up twice on behalf of the monastery. Ajahn Rit, who lives nearby, came to visit. Another Ajahn from our tradition, Ajahn Brahm, who's English but has a monastery in Australia, came when uh, he was in the States. And so there was tremendous you know, virtue and blessings uh, around this young boy whose life ended last week. Um, and his parents constantly gave to whoever came through monetary donations, you know, through food, through um, any ways, you know, through um, quite heartfelt thank yous that were beyond just the normal, you know, thanks a lot. Um, because all of these visitors were stimulating in him his monastic experience and his faith that really no matter what happened we don't we can't control the outcome we can only do what we can do here and now so what else is there right what else is there so through his days in the hospital, you know, drawing pictures, singing Puff the Magic Dragon, you know, laughing at a clown, blah, blah, blah. Um, he wasn't just a little boy. He had enormous wisdom in being able to hear the Dharma and hear it from a place of great equanimity and wisdom and then applying that through his generosity, even to his last days. 
so I learned an enormous amount from my friends. I was probably more American, thinking as I sat there often. God, so many people, you know, live long lives, you know, without this virtue and without this goodness and without this generosity. And, you know, they live to ripe old ages. Why is my Dharma son dying? And then, because I had him in my presence and I had his mother and father behaving in such spiritually mature ways, that my mind easily, you know, withdrew from those thoughts that weren't going to get me anywhere, even though I didn't try to fight with them, to feeling much more inspired and much more, if I can use the word, relaxed. Because we cannot control outcomes. We can only focus on our intentions and our desire, you know, to work with our minds and uplift them through generosity, through virtue, through mindfulness, um, even through joy, you know. So effort, you know, not letting the unskillful thoughts take over, but really making an effort to change that mode of mind into something more skillful. Again, not to deny, but to make the effort to open the space that there's another way to understand this deep, this this very difficult, very painful experience. So I dedicate this Dharma talk to his his beloved memory, and I ask to share the merit of anything that's accumulated with sharing a little bit about his life with you and particularly um, hold his mother and my father, excuse me, his mother and father in my heart in a very deep way that their suffering will be transformed as they continue on the path of generosity. The day that he died, we went to the monastery near Seattle so they can make offerings. Pretty impressive, pretty impressive. And they will continue. Today is the first week of his his death. They will continue to make offerings on his behalf. So may any merit that comes from this also be shared with them in the hopes that their grief will be a vehicle of goodness and virtue and a deep understanding of what the Buddha talked about in terms of If there's birth, there's death. We don't know when it'll come, but we know it will. Some masters think that just by being conceived, you're already, you know, just there. You know, you're growing old. And there's an expression in Thai, Gert Ger Jep Dai, Tuk Tuk Kon, Gert Ger Jep Dai. Everybody is born, everybody grows old, everybody's sick and dies. So you think, well, he didn't grow old. We don't know. Maybe for him it was very old. We don't know. If you take the perspective of that at birth you're already dying, we don't know. So we keep that don't know mind. And above all, we remember the noble truths of suffering. 
You know, it's a very unsatisfactory realm that we live in. This ICU unit for pediatrics is just a, it's a dukkha, suffering machine. They should have just dukkha above the door. <laughs> because, you know, Todd died and next thing you know, there's another emergency that the, you know, the, the room before and there's a kid being wheeled in and there's beepers going on. You know, it's just, you walk down the hall and these little kids in wagons, you know, with their IV machines you know, being trailed around them. Uh, you go to the cafeteria and kids are blind or they're signing, you know, because they're deaf. It's just dukkha, you know, everywhere. And so we're not like, what's wrong with this? Or what a terrible place. From our Buddhist perspective, it's tamada. This is normal. It's normal. So I offer these reflections to you this evening. Thank you for not anybody jumping up and bolting out the door. And we have some uh, time for questions before we end with the dedication of merit from your hearts um, to Todd, his parents, or whoever you choose to dedicate the merit of this evening to. Um, And some loving kindness. So are there any questions? Yes. He understood that the transplant didn't work, and that was the level of communication. He understood that the transplant didn't work. Good night. Thank you for coming. Um, I forgot to mention an extraordinary thing, which I appreciate you triggering, is that he dreamt before he went, he, before he lost consciousness, he dreamt of great beings, of great monks he had met. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing too. And that's supposed to be a very auspicious sign of dreaming of great beings. So he wasn't dreaming of, you know, Kung Fu or, or um, whatever the children's, you know, Mr. Potato Head or, <laughs> I don't know. I, um, Excuse me? Ninja, Ninja Turtles. Turtles, thank you. Perfect. Fill in the blank. Um, that's not what he was dreaming about. He told his parents that he was dreaming of Lumpuro Pat and Ajahn Anand and his Dharma brothers. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? So uh, he suffered enormously with very little complaining. very little complaining. It was stunning to me since I'm not proud of admitting this. I'm quite a complainer. (laughs) 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 I'm not proud of this. (laughs) Um, Does that answer your question? Yes. Can you talk a little bit more about the practice that uh, um, perhaps your practice or yes. reveal from the time of death mm-hmm. in the days that follow and then perhaps in the weeks that follow um, how do you accrue more merit to the person who has just passed given a talk such as this mm-hmm. uh, um, through primarily through acts of generosity 
there's a special fund that was set up in his memory, you know, the Todd Tons of Hot Memorial Fund for Underprivileged Children. That's one concrete way. Um, and the others are by making offerings of charity or um, like to IMC or to the, mono, you know, to the monastery nearby. Um, the parents at the memorial service uh, had all of his toys and gave them to his friends and to the hospital, the videos, teddy bears, etc., as an act of generosity in his, you know, on his behalf as a way of making merit. Um, and by um, tweaking our own virtue is another way of really looking at the precepts um, that we hold so preciously in Buddhism you know not taking life not taking anything that's not given um, sexual misconduct false or harmful speech and uh, completely eliminating intoxicating drinks or drugs that cloud the mind really tweaking those so we live a more virtuous life in memory of a very virtuous being I don't drink I um, it's I don't drink and, I, and, and as a way of respecting the fifth precept of not clouding my mind I could tell you I was ready for a drink <laughs> um, after this experience I didn't but it was interesting to see the impulse because it was so painful it was like whatever can cloud you know, whatever could take me away from it but I didn't because that's not what the Buddha taught the Buddha taught there's more suffering in that than there is to really let the heart pierce with sorrow and heartbreak does that answer your question? Are there any other questions, comments, responses? Well, I just want to say that on the weekend I'm going to the hospice to my father-in-law who's, who's dying mm-hmm. and he's 93 and this is so different. Mm-hmm. It's just so different, you know. I really appreciate what you shared. You know, but it's death and it's just it's just very interesting. Mm-hmm. I know I guess I won't get into it all, but it's just it's cute. No, I won't, but I'm going to tweak my way of opening to him with mm-hmm. my daughters and because he was kind of a wild man. Mm-hmm. You know, and he still is. And I can't say there was much morals or ethics, just money. Mm-hmm. And he's still joking. He thinks that we're going to go have a, let's have a party on the 4th of July. And he's dying. And I'm thinking, isn't this interesting? <laughs> you know, nobody can say that what's happening mm-hmm. is happening. So It's painful mm-hmm. at any age. It's kind of hard to know where to, where to go, though, you know. Mm-hmm. What, what I do as, what, you know, what, how to act. I just act kind and loving and... I don't have a whole lot of respect for him. Mm-hmm. This is so different, and that's all I want to yeah. say. It's different, and the core is the same. There's still mm-hmm. loss of life. Yeah. There's still the, kind of the 
inexplicableness of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Buddhists believe in rebirth and what's the next step. Life doesn't end, it continues in a different form, different realm, wishing that person well and hoping for a good rebirth. Yeah, good rebirth, huh? Yeah, where they can have an opportunity to pra- listen and practice Dhamma. You know, mm-hmm. in terms of a parent, you know, one to, you know, one father, one mother to a customer, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's this, the circumstance may be different, but the fact of life is identical. Mm-hmm. So. And you can see all the goodness in him, really, right now, especially. You know, he's kind of you can see it. That's for sure. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's always been hard. I've known him since I was 16. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. yeah. I, I, I just love your story. Just, it's just so wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, it's his story, not mine. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't want to, there's no ownership to it in his parents. Mm-hmm. Are there any other comments or questions you'd like to offer? Back there. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. As I said, my kind of fear coming. I. I live in Berkeley, and I was coming down the highway, and I think, mm, you know, to use the popular expression, I hope I'm not going to bum anybody out, because <laughs> I really did mean it to be uplifting, even though it's not a, you know, a uh, the easiest talk to offer or to, I'm assuming, listen to. It really does uplift my heart, even though my heart is broken and very sad. There's, an, there's a, there's a um, line, I think, from a Leonard Cohen song that comes from some scriptural line, which is something like, when the, heart, when the heart breaks, that's how the wisdom comes in, or the light, the wisdom or the light comes in. So as I said to his mom and dad, I'll be bowing to your feet, you know, losing their only child. The heart breaks, and you know they will be so wise in terms of the Buddhist teachings. <laughs> you know that the opportunity for compassion, you know, and for growth, and meeting suffering head on, and the strength that that brings is really amazing. High price. Nobody's standing on line. Nobody's standing on line for it, but there are fruits. So we have seven minutes. So what I'd like to do is just, um, if you if you care to join me, to think about Todd and his pictures around somewhere and some other things. Um, yeah, thank you and some other things. Thank you. To um, 
if you're willing to bring your attention to the life and death of this little boy whose short life brought great joy and great sorrow to people. And it also inspired everybody around him from his monk brothers and monk father and monk fathers, I should say, and to me as a Dharma mom, to his friends and extended family. And that we acknowledge his virtues and deep in our hearts we hope that these virtues assist him in his next life. And that what he leaves behind inspires each and every one of us to let go through generosity, to let go through meeting our emotions, whatever they are, head on, so they pierce the heart and allow the light and the wisdom to come in. We also bring a sense of metta, loving kindness to our heart for all the beings, particularly his parents, who are suffering deeply from his loss, suffering deeply from the suffering that he had to, that he experienced on his way to death. We hold our hearts with great compassion for everybody who attempted to help save his life. From the clown to the cleaning woman to the head transplant physicians. And we share loving kindness with them. And may they be happy and continue to help suffering beings in every way. So we dedicate merit to Todd, Tanzuhaj, that this evening and any good thoughts and acts of generosity that you do when you bring him to mind, that that merit gets transferred to him and that will serve him well and whatever the next rebirth does for him or awaits him and we also bring as I said loving kindness especially to his parents and then to ourselves for just the living in samsara this very unsatisfactory realm that's dominated by the truth of suffering whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. The karma of birth is death. Tuk tuk kon, gert ger, jep die. Everybody that's born will grow old, get sick, and die. Everybody we love, we will lose 
or they will lose us. Everything we own, we will have to part from. It's not really ours, it's ownerless. So we bring metta to our difficulty and uncomfortableness with that. And to every being on the planet, human or otherwise, the Buddha said, nobody, everyone wants to be happy and no one wants to suffer. Everyone, everything, every ant, butterfly, snake, whatever, every sentient being who's born will die. Every leaf, flower, tree, blah, blah, blah. And so we can lose the boundaries of me and mine and remember another thing the Buddha said, which is everybody's tears are salty and everybody's blood is red. And we share this without exception with people all over the planet even though many times we're busy distinguishing between rich and poor, young and old, male and female, you know, criminals and the righteous, citizens and immigrants, blah blah blah. Everybody's tears are salty, everybody's blood is red. So may whatever merit that comes from our evening together be for Todd's benefit. May his life be for a blessing. May the goodness of his life continue with him. May he meet the Dharma in future lifetimes. Continue on the path of purification and transcendence. And we wish this for all beings everywhere. May all beings be free from suffering and may all beings live the path that the Buddha defined for us so we can be liberated now and forever. Thank you very much.